Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. We always start with discussion, and the reason is my highest value for all of you is that you spend time in God's Word over the course of the week, and you study, and you allow the Spirit to teach you and to train you and to convict you. And so when you come together with this group of new friends, I want you discussing what God has taught you in your personal study during the week, not what he's taught me or any of the other teachers that get up here before you. So that's why we discuss first what you have been studying and talking with God about in your personal time. We discuss with people who are different than us. We're very intentionally placed in intergenerational groups, so you should have a few, um, a few younger women, a few middle, middle-aged women, a few older women um, at every table. And this is intentional. This is purposeful um, so that we can learn from each other and apply God's Word to all ages and stages of life. And then we come in here for, for a lecture. And I want you to know that we, just, we have a 30-minute lecture. There is no way that I or the rest of my team is going to be able to expound on every single thing that happens in the book of Acts during this time. Um, And that's not really what this is for. This is the last piece. This is so that we can share with you as co-learners what God has been teaching us. Um, But I want you to know that I want you to value your time more than this time. So if you have to skip one thing, I want you to skip the lecture. There's plenty of opportunities for you to listen to it. You can listen to it online. We have a podcast um, so that you could listen to it, uh, the audio version. But I don't think that you have to in order for God to teach you and instruct you from his word. And so I wanted you to hear that from me. That being said, I have asked my discussion leaders to please start on time at 9.30. And so I am going to hope that the Holy Spirit motivates them to do so, so that if you come late, they're going to already be started, and they're going to have been talking, and that's, that's okay um, but we do that so that we can finish by 10.30 or 10.35 at the latest, so we can have a break. And I want to tell you that I value the break, not so that you can go to the bathroom, although that's important, because all women act, absolutely have to do that. But I value the break because I want you to get to know some other women in this room, not just the women at your table. And you have a little bit of time to mingle and talk and maybe connect with old friends or introduce a new friend to an old friend. And before we know it, we're all going to know each other in this room. And that's what the body of Christ is all about, that we belong to one another, that we're a family. And I want us to value that. So I'm asking you to value the break time for that purpose. Um, Last thing is, when you come into this room, you're always going to see rolling announcements on on the slides. Um, I know it's hard when you're talking. I'm giving you two things to do at once. Uh, Hard to pay attention to them. But I won't be able to, um, to highlight all of those announcements each week. Um, I'll try to highlight one. So pay attention if you can. Um, That being said, I do have one for this week. We have a project that we are embarking on as the women of TBC. This semester, we are going to be intentional about blessing coaches, female coaches in our area through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We have a woman here, part of our body, who um, is tasked to encourage female coaches And we're going to join with her. And you'll notice on your little box at your table, everybody's got a little tag on the end of it. And you have the name of one or two coaches. We're starting with Belton ISD. All of these coaches are from Belton ISD. And I want you to be praying for that coach. That coach is yours. Each table has at least one. 
one or two. Your leaders are going to try to reach out and connect with that coach, and maybe in the future we'll have some other projects we can do to bless them, but I want you to pray for them by name all semester. And I've told them that we will be doing that, and I know that you will. So I'll I'll give you more info on that later. All right, we are going to jump into the lesson, so let's pray first, and then we will start today's lesson. Our Father, we just thank you so much for bringing us together today in this very room for your purposes. We, we know that we're not here by accident, that you've drawn us here together, that you meet us here. We're gathered in your name, so you're in our midst. And we just want to join our hearts together to praise you, to glorify your name, to trust you together. And we thank you, God. We thank you for loving us and being present with us. We want to lift up all of our friends, even those in this group who are, who are sick with COVID or who have children who are sick or relatives. God, we are, we are so weary of this, and we need your help, we need your encouragement, we need your love, and we need, um, we need your help to be the body of Christ that you call us to be, so would you help us? Um, for the next 30 minutes, God, would you just help us to put aside all the cares of today, all the grocery shopping we need to do, and house cleaning we need to do, or whatever else is on our list, and just give us some focused attention on what you might have to teach us as we talk about this book of Acts. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, September 11th, 2001 was a day that changed our world forever. On that day, two planes were hijacked and intentionally crashed into this World Trade Center in New York City, killing 2,763 people in the aftermath. And then in Washington, D.C., That same day, 189 lives were lost when another plane hit the Pentagon. And then finally, near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, all 44 people aboard United Flight 93 perished when that plane went down at the hand of the brave passengers who helped to take it down before it could hit the United States Capitol and kill many more people. And so we remember this day. We remember it every year on the anniversary of when it occurred. But to really understand it, you need way more than just those facts that I just ran through. We've had 20 years to be thinking and understanding it. First of all, these events happened in the context of world history. That means that there were all kinds of nuances of tribalism and religious beliefs, territorial disputes, broken relationships, pain, and violence between many countries. And then they happened in the context of American history. These are details specific to United States policies, people, places, and events that contributed to the tragedy that day. And then finally, they hit us all in very personal ways. If you were old enough, and some of you might not have been in this room, but if you were old enough, I'm sure you remember exactly where you were the day that you heard or, or first saw that news. My husband and I, we lived in Washington, D.C. at the time, just outside of Washington, D.C. And so my husband was at a training event that day at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and he was sitting next to a man who, when they saw that, I mean, together they saw the images on the screen, that man would later learn the next day that his wife had perished in the Pentagon. And then Raymond and I lived in a neighborhood that was almost all military and government 
workers. And um, all of D.C. shut down that day. So all, you couldn't go in or out, and you couldn't call in or out in, with regular phone lines or cell phone lines. And so in my neighborhood, all of us gathered together because I was so fortunate. Raymond was at Fort Belvoir. He was able to come home that day. But many of my neighbors, their loved ones did not come home, and they wouldn't know till the next day if they were okay. And then um, my friends in New Jersey were literally house-sitting for a couple who was on Flight 93 that day when it happened. So this felt so very personal to me. We ourselves had just been to New York City 10 days before this happened. This is my husband, Raymond, with my now 21-year-old son, Jacob, my 23-year-old daughter, Hannah, standing in front of the World Trade Center 10 days um, before it went down. Well, we are about to embark on a study of the book of Acts. And this is a record of profound historical events that spiritually changed the world forever. But just like September 11th, those events didn't happen in a vacuum. They're part of a much larger story, the big story of God, his story of redemption throughout all of Scripture. And then they happen in a very specific historical context, specific to the ancient Near East. And then these events powerfully intersect our personal lives as God's people. So some of your Bibles might have the title of this book of the Bible, The Acts of the Apostles. And that's, that's fitting because it does describe the actions of the apostles and the other disciples who were eyewitnesses of all of Jesus' ministry. But I think a more fitting term would be to cross out the apostles because that was added by humans later. Uh, I think a more fitting title would be the acts of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and His people. So, this morning, we're going to ask three, tech, three questions as we kind of overview what this book is all about. We're going to ask, where does Acts fit into his story, God's story? Where does it fit in history? And then where does it fit as our story? So let's start with his story, God's relationship with his chosen people. If you remember back with me to Genesis we started in Genesis with a family, Abraham's family, with whom God made very specific covenant promises. He promised Abraham that he would bless his family and that through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then he marked them with a very specific sign of, of ownership, and that was the sign of circumcision. Well, in Acts, we're going to see a new family of God take shape. People with whom God is going to make a new covenant. All who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And he's going to place a specific mark of ownership or a seal on all of these new, this new, new family members. And that will be the Holy Spirit living in them. Well, next, in Exodus, God turned that family into a nation. Remember, there were 12 tribes, and they represented the 12 sons of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whose name he changed to Israel, and they became the Israelites. 
And God rescued those Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and gave them a law that would set them apart as a light to the nations. Well, in Acts, we're going to see God establish his church with a new national identity. It's going to be a heavenly one. His people are going to be united citizens of heaven, ambassadors of God to the ends of the earth. And he's going to write his law now on our hearts, on their hearts, through the Holy Spirit, and then send them out literally as a light to every nation in the world. And then finally, painstakingly, in Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings that we've studied the last few years, we saw this painful process of God establishing Israel into a kingdom. First, they conquered Canaan under Joshua, and then they were fractured for a long, long, long time under the Judges. And then they came together as a kingdom under three unified kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then last semester, we saw them divide into two. We had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, in Acts, it's so cool. You take Israel and Judah that we left behind in kings, and God's going to restore them into one kingdom once again in Jesus Christ. He's going to tear down all of those dividing walls of hostility that they had between each other, and he's going to establish the multi-ethnic kingdom of God, where all ethnicities, all people groups are going to be welcomed in, brought near through the blood of Jesus. Well, also, uh, in Kings, we saw God's presence reside with the people in the temple. We studied, we talked about this so much last fall, and that was in Jerusalem, but we saw that the people just refused to worship God there wholeheartedly, and they just went after idol after idol after idol, compromising their devotion to God. Well, in Acts, God is going to establish a new temple. All of these really cool gatherings of his people, the church made up of living, breathing, active stones displaying God's glory to the world. In fact, all all of Acts is about the spread of the gospel and the birth of the church. And so we're going to kind of find our outline in, if this will click, here we go, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is where Jesus tells his disciples, but you will be my, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's chapters 1 through 7. In Judea and Samaria, that's chapters 8 through 12. And then to the ends of the earth, and that's going to be chapters 18, 13 through 28. So it's so cool. It starts with Jerusalem, part of Judea, and this is exactly where we left the southern kingdom last fall in Kings. We left them, um, we left Judah here in Jerusalem and in Judea just before they were carried into exile into Babylon. And then we, had, we left the northern kingdom a little bit earlier, captured and exiled to Assyria. Well, guess where Assyria, what Assyria's capital was? Samaria. And so now, all these years later, um, the, this, these northern Jews that we studied um, last semester are now part of the Samaritans. And they have this amazing opportunity to hear the word first. Jesus' message, Jesus' gospel message was to go to the Jews first in all of Judea and Samaria, and then 
to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. So in the second half of Acts, we're going to study three important missionary journeys that Paul took all over the known world at that time. You see the craziness of that map. He's going to go to all of these places, and we're going to read about them. And then he's going to make a final journey to Rome. So I think this stuff is so cool, how God brings the word together in one big story. Well, next, let's look at the history in which Acts is set. Usually this is the most boring part to you. I hope it's not today. There's some really neat things. But we always want to ask some questions to help us understand the historical context of really any book that you're reading in the Bible. You want to ask these basic questions. Who wrote it? Who did they write it to? And when? And then why did they write it? What was its purpose? So we're going to try to answer these quickly today. First of all, who wrote it? Well, Acts is actually the second half of one book written by Luke. So it's the second half of the Gospel of Luke. It was originally one well-researched, orderly account of all of the events that happened concerning Jesus. Luke himself was not an apostle. He was not even an eyewitness. Uh, We know that he was a believer and a contemporary of Paul, a couple of decades after Jesus' life and ministry and and death, resurrection. Luke shows up three times in Paul's letters, and we know from Colossians 4, verse 14, that Luke was a physician. So he was a well-respected and a credible author who gathered and collected all of these eyewitnesses' accounts to put together this document, Luke and Acts, for us to, to read and study and learn from. Well, to whom was it written and when? This is kind of cool. Uh, Both Luke and Acts start with a greeting to someone named Theophilus. And we're like, who in the world is Theophilus? Well, Theophilus might have been an actual man. He could have been a trusted early believer, somebody that Luke thought would be a good person to hold this document safely and, and take care of it well. Could have been that, but we just don't know. We don't know anything else about Theophilus. So it's kind of cool to think that this word, Theophilus, if you take it apart, it's two Greek words coming together, theos and phileo, which means lover of God. And this was a common term of the day. And so it's possible, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that this could refer to any people who love God that Luke wants this message to go out to all lovers of God, and I think that's kind of neat. Either way, it's very personal. It's it's written like a letter from Luke to us, or to, to Theophilus as a man, and later to us, or to all of us as lovers of God. It was written somewhere between A.D. 62 and 67, and this is just before Paul actually is martyred for his faith, But I want you to know that it's detailing a history that's three decades long. So 30, at least 30, maybe a little bit more years of time are covered in the book of Acts. So from Jesus' ascension, somewhere around AD 33, until just before Paul's death in AD 67. Well, lastly, why was it written? We get a really cool little clue in the book of Luke. Luke tells us exactly why he wrote this book. And so in Luke chapter 1, 
verses 3 and 4. I'm going to start a little before these words on the screen. Luke says this, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I love this. Luke is this academically-minded, well-respected man. He wanted to gather and record actual evidence from people who were there and who saw it of Jesus' life, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension, of his giving of the Holy Spirit, so that they and we could have certainty that this is all true. Such a gracious God to give us such certainty through this book. Well, next we want to talk a little bit about the genre of the book and some of its themes. Acts is traditionally known as the New Testament's book of history. And it it really is that, but it's so much more. This is the best statement I could come up with. Acts is an historical and a theological record of the unlikely, seemingly impossible spread of the gospel and the church. You know, guys, that I love to read, and this book is so exciting because it reads just like a novel. It has a gripping plot. It's got all kinds of conflict. It's got drama. It's got character development. It's amazing. But at the same time, it records 19 very critical sermons and many more speeches that are just full of theological depth and wisdom and insight. And so there's so much for us to learn in, the, in this book. It's, it's really one of my favorite books in the Bible. So there are, there are a few themes that I just want you to be aware of as you start to, to read and study this book. Um, I'm going to tell them to you as fast as I can. Number one, Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the main character, even though he leaves this week in chapter one. His physical body leaves this earth, and yet he remains present via his very spirit. Jesus' mind, Jesus' heart, he leaves in us, his people, who are his body. And he, he is present throughout, guiding every thought, guiding every step as their Savior and as their King. The Holy Spirit indwells and animates the church. That's amazing. That's no small thing. You're going to see unique and similar gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest in every believer. And then collectively, you're going to see the church being led by the Holy Spirit in the most profound ways throughout the book of Acts. So that the church, this one unified body made up of local gatherings of Christians all over the world, will, in fact, be God's witness to the ends of the earth. And you and I are examples of that because We're sitting here in Temple, Texas, thousands of years later, and we have received the message. So this is amazing, God's plan. Lastly, one of my most exciting things about this book is that Acts serves as the foundational template for the rest of the New Testament. So every single letter that Paul writes, the letters of uh, Peter, James's letter, Jude, the Hebrew letter, letter or sermon, all of it is written during the time frame of Acts. 
So if you understand Acts, then you start to understand all of those epistles in a whole new way when you see where they intersected the story. So you have a really cool, I think cool, some people hate charts, but you have a, little, a cool chart on page 11 of your resource guide, and it's going to show you where all of the epistles, all of the other books of the New Testament, minus 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation, cross Acts. So this book is going to be pivotal. So to kind of get us thinking about some of these themes, um, especially in chapters 1 through 7, I want to show you guys a video this morning. And you know I'm a huge fan of the Bible Project. And the Bible Project has put together four videos that detail the four key sections of Acts. And so before we get to each one, I'm going to send this to your leaders who are going to send it to you, send you the link. But you can go and find this, look up thebibleproject.com. We're going to watch this video together of chapters 1 through 7, and I hope it gets you excited about your study this week. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff. And the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is gonna come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus's body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. 
This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community, but the bigger problem is coming from the outside. Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen, he's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute him by picking up rocks and smashing him to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement, with many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope, which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes, Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus's kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there, that's what the next section of Acts is all about. It is, I hope that gets you excited about what you're going to learn. That's what we're studying the next few weeks. It's like the best movie of all time. So I'm excited about it. Well, we want to close today with just a very short, um, I want to give you a short uh, introduction to how this story of Acts is going to intersect our worlds over the next few weeks of Bible study. And so I want to do that by just describing what this study is like. Maybe you talked about this in your discussion groups. Maybe you didn't. So I want to do it very quickly. Um, we're going to talk about three words that all start with C that help us to understand what an, indu an, an inductive Bible study really is. So we're going to start with comprehension. This just means that we want to understand what the words on the page of the book of Acts actually say. And in order to do that, we're going to have to read the book of Acts, all of it. And it's long, it's 28 chapters, but we're going to systematically read it together. But we don't want to just read it. We want to try to read it to comprehend what it says. And we might need some help to do that. 
And so, um, all of you should have received a uh, resource and discussion guide. I want you to put your name on this because they all look the same. (laughs) And I want you to bring it with you every week. Um, You may not like these kinds of resources that you'll find in here, but sometimes it's really helpful to have maps and charts and outlines and lists. So you're going to find all that kind of stuff in here to help you as you're reading. If something is just not making sense, maybe you can find a resource in here that might help you. All of this introductory material that I've just gone over, you will also find in in here. And then when we get to week 10, uh, we're going to split our class, we're going to split that into two weeks. And so there's actual homework questions in here. So you don't want to lose this book. You want to keep that um, handy. Um, You might want to use some other resources. You might want to actually use like an old-fashioned dictionary to look up some words and write definitions. Anything that you can think of Think back to your grade school days to help you with reading comprehension. We want to apply that. And that's the most important thing. If you can't get to anything else, I want you to do that. I want you to read the text for any given week. My favorite thing to do is listen to it. I have my phone. Read it to me. When I'm driving, when I'm walking, when I'm doing the dishes, just about any time, I have my phone talking to me. Um, So over and over. You can't read it enough. Just If you read it over and over, you're going to have something to talk about, something to say, whether you get to the homework or not. Of course, I want you to get to the homework. That's our second piece. This is where we are going to clarify what we read. We're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to try to understand it. And that's what this book is all about. Um, Each each week, you have a reflection and discussion section. Those, Those are your homework questions. And some of you are going to hate them. I can just tell you now. So you feel free to come tell me how much you hate them. That's okay. Because they're really, really long. So even a question might take you some time to understand what in the world it is asking. (laughs) Because they're they're not real simple questions with simple answers. So there's not a whole lot of them, but they have a lot of information in the question. And it might ask you to go to another place in the Bible and look up another story that might inform the one that you're reading about. It's going to ask you to answer some questions. Do your best. If If you can't, it's okay. But try, try to answer the questions in the, re- in the reflection section because when you get together as a group, those are the questions you're going to talk about most. You're just going to systematically go through and talk about those questions together. Now, um, it's important um, that you don't feel like if you haven't done the questions, you can't come. You absolutely can. Please, please hear me say that. Please come and, and you will learn something. But if you can do it, it will bless your life. You'll, you'll, it'll open your eyes to what these words actually mean. And then finally, we're going to try to connect what the book is saying with our actual life. Not just our personal life, but our life together. You as a group get to ex- explore this book and learn about it together. And that's going to be exciting. Because one table might get um, compelled into an area of service that another table might not. And that's how God works. He puts this, He just... It's amazing. He gets, he's living and active in all of our groups. And so um, I want you to come together and discuss. That's why you're discussing. What has God taught you? What has God taught you? How is that working together? And so you have this section in the back of every chapter, um, and you can look at it on page 14 and 15 if you want to, because every chapter looks the same. You have a, a commentary section in this book, and it always has one section called Gospel Glimpses, one section called Whole Bible Connections, and one section called Theological Soundings. 
And you're going to look at this and you're going to go, whoa, I don't know what in the world this is all about. Just read it. Just read it. Underline some things that might stand out to you. Put a star by something that maybe you don't understand or you have a question about. And then at the end of your discussion every week, your leaders are going to say, hey, what stood out to you in gospel glimpses? What stood out in whole Bible connections? Is there a theological topic that you are interested in or is confusing to you? And we're just going to talk about it. We may not agree on everything. That is okay. In fact, that's actually beneficial for us not all to agree on every single thing because that's how we learn and grow and challenge one another. And so I want you to, to use that section. There's At the back of every lesson, it gives you some blanks to write, like your most, your biggest takeaway of those sections. Don't even worry about that. Just underline it. Just underline it and star it, um, and you're going to talk about it. You don't have to fill out that last part, okay? Does that make sense? I hope that this is um, a book that will be beneficial to you, but I really tell my leaders this every, every leader training that we do. I don't care if you like this book or not. Because I want you to like the Bible. I want you to like the book of Acts. I want that to be the thing that you're so excited about. Whether you like this one or not doesn't really matter. It's just a tool to help us in that process. Okay? Um, in closing, um, I just want to say that September 11th, 2001, changed the world as we knew it. But what happened in the book of Acts absolutely spiritually changed the world forever. And we get to be part of that journey. Acts has 28 chapters. A lot of people think of us, the church, God's people, as Acts 29 and, and beyond because we are, we are still living out the mission of God as his people in the world, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what a privilege it, it, it is to do that together. So I want to encourage you to trust God and and to trust him together with this group of people that he's brought in your life and just see what he has for us, see where he might lead us and where his Holy Spirit might direct us this year. Let's pray as we close. God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for just putting us in this, in this particular group of people uh, for this time, and we, we expect to learn. We expect to be transformed. We expect to be challenged, to think differently, to behave differently, to... To, to even speak differently as we're led by the Holy Spirit, as you convict us and you use us for your glory. So we are excited. God, open our eyes to see something new this week as we study your word. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys are going to start in week two, week two of your homework, okay? And if you have children over in childcare, I've gone late, so please go get them as soon as possible.